Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Explorative Podcast. Welcome back to the Explorminate podcast. I'm your host, Battle Mode. You can call me Ben. And this week, my co-host is Daz Tactic. Thanks, Ben. And uh, welcome, guys. Looking forward to uh, getting into this particular chat. Yeah, this week, good one. So this week, we don't have Rob, Drexy or Sean. They're all off doing different things. But we've got a special guest this week we're going to do an interview with. Uh, he's an AI modder for Forex Games called Isle. Yeah, hello. I'm glad for you to have me today on the podcast and I'm looking forward to answering your questions and talk about the things with you. We're really, really pleased to have you on because your name is quite synonymous with very, very good AI in the games that you've turned your attentions to. And uh, there's there's a couple of those games. One of them is a favourite of mine, which is Remnants of the Precursors. And that game now comes bundled with your very difficult AI and uh, amongst um, amongst some others as well. I also play uh, Warhammer 40k Gladius Relics of War, and I know Daz is a big fan of that one too. And I, know, I understand that you had a little input into that one. And perhaps you could tell us some of the other stuff that you've you know that you've turned your hand to. Yeah, the first thing that I worked on was Civilization Three. Back then, the mod was more about with limited tools that I had available, with, which was this editor. And I basically changed values and added stuff that uh, requirements for buildings that they can build and removed things that AI couldn't deal with very well. Yeah. And the next thing, I think there was a longer break after that because I played World of Warcraft and there was not really much to AI mod with that. After that, uh, the first thing was Endless Space, which actually had some programming interface for the modding. You could script in the mods and add some logic. And yeah, after that, I think that then came Pandora, which was the first real AI modding project in the sense that I had the source code available. And I spent almost two years uh, on that in my free time, not the entire time, but worked a lot on it. and. I think the result was really presentable. Yeah, from then on, there was a short period. Oh, yeah, I almost forget. There was Dominus Galaxia, uh, which is quite similar to Remnants of the Precursors. I worked a while on that one, but I think it's still not out, which is a bit weird. I think it was in a good state back then, but the main designer wanted to add more and more stuff to it. And at some point... I didn't really feel like working on it anymore because the stuff he added made it so that the AI had to 
play basically different games because the, the game modes were so different from one another and supporting all of that, despite not really enjoying some of the newer stuff, wasn't so great anymore. Then I think there was uh, Gladius, which I'm a bit cautious to talk about. And after that, yeah, then, then was Remnants of the Precursors, which I also spent, I guess, almost two years on. There's, I don't know if you are aware, there is a fusion mod, which contains my work and the work of someone else who does a lot of uh, options editing, which is more like an expansion than a mod, really, I would say. And recently, about half a year ago, I picked up working on OpenXCOM, which is now my current project that is called Brutal OXCE, which stands for OpenXCOM Extended. And I think uh, this is also, I think, the, the one that is most popular of my uh, things that I worked on, but it's not really a Forex game. It's uh, one of those things I've always sort of interested to sort of hear about, like just the, I guess, the passion that uh, people like, the, like with what you do actually do with the games. And it does sound like you sort of really uh, focus very, very heavily on one game at a time. Is that sort of like more the approach that you take with with what you do, and is it really based on on passion for for what you're feeling at the time, or or can you fairly easily sort of switch from project to project? Yeah, it's really about what I'm currently passionate about. It's not so easy to get back to a game like, for example, when someone reports uh, an issue with Remnants of the Precursors, and I'm not so much into it anymore. Going back to it is not that easy because uh, my current focus is on that, and I. Don't know if I can talk about this uh, because I also had a contract with Amplitude for a short while, but we never really got working and I completely lost the motivation and didn't even try to contact them about continuing the work. And so uh, nothing came out of that essentially. Uh, so I'm now focused mostly on open source games because there I have no issues to coordinate with anyone and can just do what I want. Yeah, I don't think you're alone there, actually. It's sort of one of those things where, um, like, I think I, I, like Ben and I are in, in an unusual position where we often get to meet different modders over over the years. And I, I, remember, I was looking through my files, actually, Ale, to uh, see when we first made contact. It was back in 2015, from what I can tell, from the files that I have downloaded uh, for uh, for Pandora. So I think that was the first time I came across, across your work there. Yeah, it's, it's sort of funny, though. Like, I think that a lot of modders, I think that passion aspect seems to be fairly common, like where where it seems that models that do, I guess, the complexity of what you actually do tend to be able to or tend to focus very, very heavily on on a single project or single game, but for an extended period, which is why, you know, when you do come up with a mod, it ends up being just so incredible. Do you want to talk a little bit about, I guess, uh, like for myself, and I don't know if Ben's the same, but for myself, I find that I... I, my focus, I can't keep focus on on a single game for more than probably a couple of months. I don't know, if, Ben, if you're in the same boat as me with that. Yeah, I, I tend to flip between game and game. I, I get very, very hyper-focused on, get, on one game, but I will always be playing something else around it. I'm just like that. Yeah, I, it's really this, this thing about being focused about one thing. My view on what makes a great game is not so much that I, I want something new every time. I want one game to be really, really good at what it does. So keeping to work on, on these games like OpenXCOM, for example, uh, the way how it has developed since it come, came out, 
uh, with the modding scenes and all the supporting for the mods and all the options that you have in that. It's like a really, really good game compared to even AAA titles that are coming out now. Uh, the interface is really good. Well, the graphics are obviously dated, but the, this uh, passion that the open source community puts into one project over like, I think it's like eight years and they're still constantly updating it. Not just me, also the others. They, they also put in new stuff all the time. And that's something that I like better than just switching from game to game. Uh, yeah, for me, it's also difficult to get into games where I don't have the opportunity to do something about when I run into an, uh, anything that I don't like about the game, I want to change it and not having the opportunity to do so because it's not open source, it's making it rough. There's really not that many games around that I can just play and enjoy and not run into anything that I would like to change. And uh, this mostly AI related to things that I want to change. So I went through a phase when I was getting back into strategy games where I was constantly seeking, you know, the most difficult game, like the best challenge that I could get. And I was chewing my way through game after game after game and putting them up to the hard hardest difficulty settings and just trying to, you know, try to figure out which game was going to be the one, you know, which is my game. I needed challenge. And I need a challenge at the expense of fun to some extent. And I felt that game, so I kind of started looking at game AI a little bit. And I was just like, you know, what is it that, what, what does a game need to be in order for it to have a good game AI? I'm interested to ask you that question because I've noticed, for example, you're just talking about open XCOM. I've played some open X, uh, o, o X T E mods. Is it um, XCOM, XCOM Extended? For example, X Pirates is one of my favorite games. I just think it's so good. And I'm interested to know, like, what, what is it that about games or what does a game need in order for you to consider it worthy, you know, for you to spend time fixing the AI or making your own AI for it? Yeah, for that, the game just needs a good game design. And some games, I feel they just click with me because they, uh, they are fun the way they are uh, supposed to be played. And when I then run into the AI not being up par to it, I want to improve it. But that's also the thing that was a bit missing when I was working on the, or, or trying to get to work on the Amplitude project. The game didn't really click with me. So I was not really motivated to push it further. And luckily I made a contract that made it easy for me to get out. So, and I don't really want to do this with the contract again, because unless of course I have played the game before and usually it needs to have been out a while. So, and not still so much in development that it changes from build to build and it's a different game from from each playtime. So well-established games usually have a better chance to charm me in the way that I want to work on them. I guess with newer games as well, then the AI is intrinsically tied into the game mechanics, right? And if the game mechanics are changing as the game is still in development or it's still being patched and updated, then that just, you know, you're kind of kicking the can down the road where it comes to having to fix the AI because you're always playing catch up with the game mechanics. Uh, yeah, exactly. That was also the case with Dominus Galaxia, where I thought I was kind of done. And then the, he introduced star lanes and some way of uh, craft designing 
uh, no design crafting and all that stuff that didn't exist before. And then the battlescape was also changed to a different size. And uh, basically, it was this kind of catch up, and it was a bit annoying, especially if the things just felt a bit unnecessary. Why they were changed at all? And in this case, I thought he just wanted to please everyone, but. And this is also something that I think I learned is to avoid overchoice in the game. If you have too many options, no one really knows what the intention is and what is the intended way. And people get uncertain and this uncertainty often leads to them not wanting to play it unless you present something as the clear default and the options are just not uh, so well supported or they don't need to be as supported as the core default options yeah i guess that would be quite frustrating actually if you um like if the sand is always shifting under your feet like that i was wondering actually because you've worked on so many different games and also in different areas of the games as well you mentioned like with the civilization really where you were mainly sort of just dealing with options and then all of a sudden you're dealing with very very complex ai with the pandora game like with your background is it is it something where you can sort of switch between different languages or do you have a different sort of different sort of structure that you like to work with within gaming. I'm guessing that that, even that must be very different across every game that you come across. Uh, Yeah, that's true. The different languages, uh, I've now done uh, C++, C Sharp and Java. And the, the interesting thing is they are actually really similar in the important ways. And nowadays the, the editors like Visual Studio, they are so good that you don't really need to know too much about the language. You just type something and it shows you some sort of autocomplete. Or if you want to do whatever is special about it, you just need to Google it briefly and then you know how to do it. And nowadays with uh, ChatGPT, it's even easier. It can even write entire algorithms for you. You just need to tell it what you want and it comes out like that. And so it's not that difficult with the different languages mostly because they are so similar anyways. I'm interested to know, you've just actually preempted one of our questions. You were mentioning ChatGPT. I take it that you've kind of, have you started to integrate some of these new AI tools that are a hot topic at the moment? They've really kind of sprung, for most people, they've kind of sprung out of nowhere over the last year or so. Uh, Have you embraced this technology? Only as a tool. The thing is that they are using the techniques that they are using for training these uh, really large neural networks. It requires uh, a lot of processing power. For example, when you look into how expensive it was to train something like, like uh, GPT-4, I think there's 20 million or even more like, uh, more than that, uh, just for the, the energy that they needed to run the hardware for uh, an extended period of time to do the training of this uh, model. So this is not really feasible for the things that I'm doing. Uh, It's certainly technology that is improving all the time, though. And I wonder if at some point we might be able to see some of the, you know, kind of the machine learning stuff actually filtering through into game AI. Now, I I did a bit of AI at university. That was my original degree. Uh, I didn't get that far into it, I'll be honest with you. So I'm not really, I can't consider myself an authority on the topic in any way. And I understand that game AI is very, very different to when we, when most people kind of popularly think about it, artificial intelligence. It's really a series of algorithms that is about making choices. I wonder if you could just, you know, describe briefly this kind of AI that it is that you've been working on with the games. Like how, what's the sort of basic structure to it? Uh, yeah, the basic structure, I usually 
when I started to work on the game, the game doesn't have no AI, right? Uh, it has one and I think it needs to be improved. So the structure was radically different uh, between the different games. For example, Dominus Galaxia had almost nothing. So this was uh, starting from more or less from scratch. There was not much to do. Uh, Pandora had already really big AI over several classes distributed. And I just tried to get into how the designer who designed it thought and then work with that and not to redesign it completely. In OpenXCOM, for example, most of it is just one function, which calls a few other functions. So I just also made a really big function and started with what was there and then rewrote it as I went. So the general structuring is not really something that I changed, except for when I did an own little project, with, uh, which I did in 10 days to learn a bit of Unity engine. There, I obviously had to start from scratch too, and it's I don't really have a a plan of how it wants uh, how it shall look like in the end. I just start somewhere and see where it leads me. It's really fascinating, actually, Ail, uh, because uh, one thing I find with uh, with the work that you have done is that you it, it feels like you're playing against a human when you actually do play against one of your AIs, and not just a not just a human, but a very very good human. <laughs> And so I was wondering, like, how you approach that, because um, a lot of games, you just find that, the, you know, the, the AIs will just, they're quite dumb, but yours seem to pulse. And I've always found that really quite fascinating to sort of see just how difficult you've actually been able to make certain, the ways that certain AIs will actually play. And I would have, I, I would have thought that the games themselves would have needed to have additional components put into them to be able to handle uh, what you actually have built. And I'm thinking of games like um, like Pandora and also Gladius, you know, because I mean, Gladius has probably got the best AI of any game that I've played. And it's just, and it's it, it, that pulsing, and you had that same thing in Pandora as well. It just, it just fascinates me that you, like, with, with what you've been able to do with that. I think the approach is generally that I uh, try to figure out how I think about this. And then I try to translate my own way of thinking into an algorithm. Algorithm, And I oftentimes realize that I don't really uh, think about stuff. So I first need to develop the thoughts that I then can transform into an algorithm. It also makes myself better at the game because there's a lot of stuff that I just do intuitively without really thinking about it. And I also had help in the form of someone who suggested an uh, algorithm to me that was, in the case of Pandora, for example, I learned something because it was my first real project. So I was also taking an input from others. And the idea was a return of investment approach on basically almost everything that is economy related. The idea was to how much of this is this worth. And so I can decide correctly which building to build next because there's always one that is the most efficient at the current stage of the game. And to identify it, I need something to compare how good it will be when it is there. And uh, I basically uh, wrote uh, functions that just predict how good this building is, set it into relation to how expensive it is to build. And then you just go through the list and yeah, the, the scoring is also the, the main thing. I just score almost every option that there is or that makes sense to me. 
and then try to figure out how to score it best to get the best results. And that's basically how most of my AIs are written. Oh, that's interesting as well. Like, so, so you actually, rather than just having like a build list as such, which I'm guessing a lot of games would just sort of have like, you know, build this first, build that one next type thing. So it's sort of almost like a linear approach. You actually do have like a, you go with a, a weighted score with, um, is that sort of how you approach most of the AI that you do build for, for the games? Like where you actually have different parameters will then uh, improve the score for us for a certain response? Yes, that's how it works. Lists uh, that are static are really not my thing. I want everything to be expressed by some sort of algorithm that calculates the score, basically. So I can't really think of when it comes to behaviors like uh, units doing specific th uh, things that where it's only one thing that makes sense. But even there, I think almost everything is scores in this regard. Actually, just an, another thought that just came to my head is that it's not just buildings and things like that. It's the actual, you seem to be able to get like whole armies to then go and do what you want them to do. And not so not just single units, but actually groups of units. I'm guessing, again, that must, I don't know how you would have actually approached that with some of these games. I don't know if they're sort of structured to actually collectively look at their, at their whole force and then sort of move off that way. Uh, yeah, with the unit control, it's a bit different, especially, uh, for example, Gladius with the one unit per tile. I have, there's the units, they have, uh, they communicate with each other in a sense that they gravitate towards each other. So they do not just score the targets that they want to attack, but also get bonuses based on other units that are close to that. And I think uh, the most Advanced and tactical is the way I code now the, the XCOM AI. And they take so many things into consideration, which I didn't think of initially. And for example, in this game, it's really important to be good at finding cover. And the algorithm that I wrote for this is quite processing intense. And so a big challenge is to keep the turn times down and look for better algorithms for that. And pathfinding also plays a big role. And it's really interesting in the regard that I guess that the programmers, that they looked for good pathfinding algorithms and just took something. And they also took something and didn't even realize the true potential within it. Basically, it, I don't know if this goes too deep in the algorithms. Uh, I'll let you answer this question first. Oh, no, please carry on. That's, this is interesting. So there's an algorithm that's called a Jigstra's algorithm, which maps the entire map at once and stores them in pass nodes. And the uh, original algorithm just sorted these pass nodes by how many time units are required to get there. And then threw the result away and just returned a list of the reachable tiles that are reachable in one turn. But all the information, how much time units uh, are needed, were then later recreated by calling another pathfinding method. And this was extremely inefficient. And instead of just returning the, uh, the tiles or the positions of the tiles, I had it return the entire pathfinding node, which also had the information which direction to go from this tile to the origin and how many time units. And with that, I can do so much more which allows the AI to, to process all the possibilities that it has uh, in a much quicker time. And I can even cache these results so that other units can see what the 
what their friends have, what possibilities their friends have or what the enemies could have based on where the enemies are spotted and stuff like that. So if you really get into it, you can find out a lot of cool algorithmic ways to improve the stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that I noticed when I was studying this is that uh, when you're looking at pathfinding, so particularly, it's all about the heuristics that you're using, isn't it? And you're talking about multiple entities all informing one another of you know, their d potential decision-making. Doesn't the complexity get very, very large very, very quickly with this kind of thing? Yes, it does. And this is also a bit of the challenge or the main challenge to keep the overview. And basically, when I go through my code, I often find things that are not uh, even used anymore. And I edit stuff and removed it. And it can get a bit messy, I have to admit. But that's also part of the challenge. And now, when I've been looking at games, I found that like, I, I'm kind of I tend to be attracted to older games for some reason, and I'm not quite sure why. I feel that modern games often, they sacrifice elegance of design a little bit in order to kind of either add more features or they've spent a lot of their development time and money on things like graphics. So I found Master of Orion about four or five years ago, and I got really into it. In fact, it was Master of Orion 2 first, and then I kind of went back to Master of Orion 1. So when I found Remnants of the Precursors, I was absolutely delighted that there was a kind of more modern version of the game with a nicer UI. I actually think the original game is very, very good still, but you know the user interface is very, very old by today's standards. And I immediately, well, not immediately, I, I suppose over the years, I started to appreciate just as how tight the game design in Master of Orion is. And the AI is actually pretty good for its time. I mean, I think that game was like 92, was it? I think 92 or 93. So uh, the AI seems very, very good. And I've come to over the years to realize that it's partly because it's this is an issue you touched on before. I think there's only one kind of one victory condition. So instead of having multiple con, you know victory conditions, it doesn't have to get confused over which victory type it's going for. But also the the whole game is kind of structured around this sort of this kind of like galactic council victory. The question I've got, I guess, is how important is tying your game AI into the design of the game? And as a modder who usually comes in after the game is made. How does that kind of affect you know the way that you approach uh, game AI? You've already kind of said that you sort of try to work around what's already there. Yeah, that's definitely uh, an important point that the game design uh, itself is also really important in the AI design. And I would also say that, for example, uh, writing a good AI for Remnants of the Precursors is easier than doing the same thing for Pandora, simply because the game has a lower skill ceiling, I would say. So uh, reaching that skill ceiling with the AI is not as difficult. With Pandora, for example, there was always this one player who just was so creative in his approach because you can do so many things. And for example, he was trying to uh, kill one of the sea monsters early with a ship. So the ship gets to the max level and then he would uh, immediately use this time where he has a really power spike and attack enemies and stuff like that. And coding that into AI, such complex and long-term plans that are only possible in, in really complex games is a lot more difficult than doing the relatively simple uh, things that you have to do in a game like Master of Orion or Remnants of the Precursors. Um, I think I got carried away a little and uh, didn't really answer the question. 
I'm sorry, it was a badly formulated question, as always, from me. <laughs> um, I, I guess the, I think you've answered it. It's more that how you know how important is structuring your game around the AI or weaving the the game mechanics around the AI? Would you say you know if you were to advise a developer who was coming up with a new game, how important is it to consider AI right from the start as you develop? Oh, I think it definitely would be a great help because. One example that I can name from very recently, I'm pretty sure you know it, is this game Ozymandias. It has a really strong AI, but the AI doesn't play the entire game. So this is something that I don't really like. And having the, the game having mechanics that the AI doesn't interact with, I don't like that. So I prefer if the game is designed in a way that the that everything that you can do in the AI, um, in the game, the AI can do the same. Usually, uh, 4X are also special in this regard that the the game is usually, you are starting with a very similar uh, situation than the AI. So you have to do the same things as the AI and the AI has to do the same things as you do. XCOM, for example, is very different in that regard that you play a completely different game. The AI just gets their units at the beginning of a, of a battle and just has them and tries to do the best with them. And everything that happens outside of that is not really inside of the control of the AI. But I, I don't think it's a hard requirement for making AI if the game is not designed initially around it. It's more important that it doesn't change all the time than, than uh, it having been designed with AI in the mind. One other example I could name for that, uh, which I don't personally have contributed to, uh, is Gaia Project. It's one of the things that I would name for games that also have great AI, despite me not working on it. And uh, this was designed as a board game, so I'm pretty sure that the designer of the board game didn't really think about AI at the time it was designed. But due to it being a board game, these things usually have great game design anyways, especially when the board games are popular. That's the only reason for getting popular for a board game is have a, having good game design. Hey there, Forex fans. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Yes, yeah, so actually, it's interesting uh, with what you're saying there about Ozymandias. So you're mentioning that the AI only goes a certain way and then sort of stops that point. Did I actually hear that correctly? It's not that it's you have this mechanic where you can draw a card uh, every at the end of every turn. You have to decide between uh, two or three cards, which you can keep. And this mechanic, the AI doesn't interact with that at all. It doesn't have these cards. So you, you get usually you get bonuses from these cards. Sometimes you can prevent worse things from happening. So what is recommended to actually make it fair is to give the AI a little bit of a bonus to compensate for them not having to deal with the cards. And I was, uh, I asked them why they are not using, why are not, they not teaching the AI this stuff? 
because otherwise the AI is pretty good. So there's a, a bit of a follow up with that one uh, for me then anyway to sort of uh, find out what are you, what are your thoughts on AI that cheats uh, like an. Uh, so many players actually really don't like to have AIs that get advantages uh, to sort of compensate for their lack of being able to plan. Do you have any sort of thoughts about that at all? Yeah, cheating uh, AI is it's a very wide spectrum of what you consider a cheat. Like, for example, I think you mentioned earlier the unit design or unit compositions in Pandora or Gladius. And uh, this kind of thing is uh, something where I allowed it to cheat in the sense that it knows what the enemy has so it can build their own troops based on that. So I'm not guilt-free in, in the sense. And also my initial uh, start with the XCOM AI, it was also cheating, but most people don't really like it. So... For Forex, I'd say you should avoid it for the most part, especially resource bonuses or hard knowledge bonuses like them seeing the map or stuff like that. If it is things that simulate the experience of the player, is these are, for example, unit compositions. If the player is very experienced with that and they know what comes when and stuff like that. So uh, this is something where I'm seeing, for example, remnants also... Uh, when you when someone gets the uh, repulsor beam, the AI will design counters to that before encountering it because as a player, you would do this anyways because you know that someone will do it and then your chips are useless. So the AI has to do the same thing uh, and not just, oh, uh, realize later that that it's too late and it is hard countered and cannot win anymore. This is kind of interesting because we we are starting to we're starting to touch on an area of AI sort of philosophy. And this was, there's a video on YouTube that Soren Johnson, who did the, uh, who produced Civilization 4, he talked about this and its concept of uh, difficult AI versus fun AI. And Master of Orion, the original game, had some interesting things. So this had a kind of observation cheat where it was, it was able to see the whole map, okay? But the, the programmers, Simtex, they actually programmed in so that the AI would send out, it would build and send out scout ships to give the player the impression <laughs> that it wasn't cheating. So which which was, you know, that's kind of on the fun side of things. I guess at the time with the processing power and that kind of thing, it would have been really difficult for the game to have been able to have an AI algorithm that would have been able to sense the world around it using the scouts and then build a plan around that, uh, which is a bit easier, I guess, to do now. Uh, also, we've come a long way with regards to the, you know, the way that we approach the design principle of AI anyway. But I just thought that was really interesting that they they cared about the player enough that they, you know, they wanted the player to see that the you know the AI was actually trying. Because <laughs> I, I agree with Daz and, and yourself. I, players really, really hate it when they learn that the game isn't playing the same the AI isn't playing the same game. It's one of the complaints that we see about Shadow Empire a lot when uh, the developer VR designs Vic He's been quite clear about exactly what it is that the AI does. In fact, there's a section in the manual saying, how does the AI play differently to the player? And the fact that he's been transparent about that, um, I think is great. And it makes the gameplay better. So I, I'm all for it. I don't care. But some people really, really dislike it. And it's almost like, a, I'm just not going to play this game because the AI cheats. And I think if they found out, you know, just quite how much other games cheated, they'd probably, the list of games that they would be able to play would come down to maybe just a couple. <laughs> yeah. 
I think for me it's it's difficult to to say exactly where to draw the line with that, but that doesn't mean I don't have a line. I think if the AI plays very differently to a human and doesn't just use some some knowledge that it couldn't probably have obtained or it would have obtained if it was more experienced or could look back at previous games, something like that. There's a, a question whether you really want to expand all the effort to make it learn this stuff throughout the game or get to get this knowledge in some other way. Or if you just allow it to access this information, which is already there in the game state anyways. So I think where I draw the line is when the AI can do something that the player can't do without even with experience or this, the tools that the player is given and the AI can do something completely different. Yeah, that actually, that, that sort of circles back a little bit to uh, one of the things you mentioned before about with Pandora and Gladius, uh, where you had the cheat in uh, in brackets, <laughs> let's uh, put it that way, was for the AI to be able to then look at what the, uh, I guess, what the was it just the human player? Was that all that they would actually look at, what, what the human player was building? So they weren't, they weren't looking at the map. They weren't doing anything else like that. It, so it was just literally a an expectation of what they might be facing. Is, is that sort of how I, how I read that one? Because I don't, like for that, I think that's um, like for me. That's definitely pretty, pretty mild in the terms of the way that some of the games actually do cheat with their AI. Like I think that's a quite a, a clever way of actually getting uh, some nuance into uh, into the way that the, the different units will then come up back against you as a human player. No, it's not limited to the human players because that is one of the rules that I set myself to not make any difference between humans and other AIs. Basically, every AI knows the the uh, unit composition of all the other empires and then tries to make something which is best against the average of everyone else. And this is uh, more or less the approach. And for example, if if someone uses a lot of missiles and someone else doesn't, it will go some sort of middle ground when it comes to mi missile defense. And if everyone around it goes heavily for the missiles, they will obviously add more like that and if they are at war with someone else uh, they will focus on that empire of course when it comes to who to counter so if the human isn't involved in that war uh, the ai doesn't even care about the human because uh, as i said before it shouldn't really know about the human but even for that there's uh, exceptions for example when it comes to diplomacy the other empires, the other AIs, they don't care about being asked about something every turn, but the human would be really annoyed. So there's some some timers that prevent the AI from asking the human uh, the same thing over and over. And they basically cross stuff from their list that, uh, to ask the human so that the human has declined before and then the human has to initiate the same conversation if they change their mind and the AIs just keep asking each other the things that they want uh, every turn. But that's also a point that I'm, I think, the most difficult part in the sense to uh, satisfy player expectation is the diplomacy. That's why, for example, Gladius is really good because it doesn't have diplomacy and XCOM also really good because it also doesn't have X, uh, diplomacy. So I can avoid having to deal with that and the time that I spent on trying to get something good for Remnants of the Precursors, which then ended up with having like five different AIs that the player can choose from, 
which brings back the problem of overchoice and they don't know which one to pick. And even I don't know which one to recommend. This is a bit problematic, I would say, for me. It's interesting because uh, before you mentioned diplomacy, I was about to ask you a question about diplomacy in 4X because it is the, it's one of the eternal bugbears of the genre, I think. And it, again, we'll look at Master of Orion. My understanding is that diplomacy in Master of Orion was baked so, you know, so closely into the game design, be, partly because they need uh, they needed some way for the player to feel like he's playing against a human face. I think that is that is one of the design goals of diplomacy in a forex. You know, you you don't want to be playing against a cold hard CPU. You know, like playing against Skynet. You know, in some bunker somewhere. You want to feel like you're playing against something that's living and breathing. But also, trying to make diplomacy a critical game component that also has some non aesthetic usage has proven to be really really difficult and it's there's not very many 4x games that really do it very well is it do you think that the it's so easy to exploit for the player where the ai isn't able to kind of plot against the uh, enemy i mean for example let's let's take a game like like remnants of the precursors right you might find that you've got an, an, an a neighbor on your border who is strong looking like it might want to attack you so you give it some stuff and you make it friendly for a while. You build up your strength, take out another guy, get stronger. And then when you are ready, you can just take on this enemy. And, you know, that's kind of it. That might be satisfying for a while, but the, the AI doesn't seem to do that. It can't really, you know, think in that kind of way. Do you think that diplomacy is a weak point of this genre then? Yeah, the thing is, I tried to solve the issue that you just brought up, that the player can plan ahead and do stuff like that by the AI not being faced at all by what the player does, at least in some variants of my diplomacy AI, which I previously mentioned, there's five different ones of. I have one that is more role-play oriented that really focuses on the, that, that really lets the player do with them what the player wants. And there's one that is uh, very focused on the characteristics of the race, which really tries to be a hardcore Pacifist, for example, if it rolled pacifist as characteristic or really when it is uh, xenophobe that it will dislike everyone, stuff like that, or when it's ruthless that it attacks everyone. This, I think none of the approaches, neither the one where you let the player manipulate the AI nor the ones where, or, or I forgot to mention the main one, the fusion version of this is the one that uh, I tried to build by the what I had learned about game theory. So they will cooperate with others, but they will not ally with them because allying is kind of broken in the sense that everyone would win if, if they would just ally with everyone. So it's just cooperation, time limited, without an actual alliance. And the stronger one, they know that the others will do that. So you have to think, what will they do and what should I do in this situation? But in the end, it's you get really different results depending on what you try to do. And I, I've struggled to find what the ideal way is and I've a bit given up on it and like it better if the game doesn't even have diplomacy, to be honest. I have a, an approach, the last one I mentioned, I, which I don't know which you could, uh, whether you could record it, was the one that tries to mimic what I learned about game theory. So the player cannot really manipulate it a whole lot. Uh, 
and the AI will um, either work with the player if they feel it's the best thing to do, or they will work with someone else if they feel it's the best thing to do. But you can't really impact it other than being very weak or be very strong. So they will just use it as input. But what I ended up saying was that I don't feel comfortable with any of these approaches that I mentioned. And that's why I now prefer working on games that don't even have diplomacy, or at least currently I'm doing that. I see. Now, my, my dreams of you maybe one day coming into the uh, Dominions, Illwinter's Dominions, and then making an AI for that, I guess uh, that's probably off the table then, because at least in the multiplayer community, you know, the, the way that the diplomacy works out is actually a big part of the game. But even regardless of that, Dominions is, is just a massive game with a huge number of variables. The The amount of units and spells and you know all the kind of fantasy 4x options that you get it's just taken to the nth degree in that game and i was i was like oh, i really like isle to make a mod for dominions for you know for the difficulty because i think that would be really cool is that something you could you could consider doing or is it a bit too much would you say to be honest i've never looked into it and i would have to look into it to figure out if the game fulfills my requirements in the sense that the game design is fun enough to me actually about this thing about diplomacy it is not unsolvable but this is a thing that goes more into the direction of the neural networks again because uh, as far as i know facebook or meta the company behind it they built an ai for a game called diplomacy i don't know if you've heard about it it's a board game yes. basically but one where you have a lot of player interaction with text so it's a combination of a chatbot and a bot that plays this game and it let it compete on the multiplayer say, scene. People were informed that they were competing, but not who it is. And uh, so the AI was able to communicate in a way that had really, uh, that impacted player behavior a lot. So this was really cool, but uh, I think the scope of doing something like that is a bit too much and you really need a bigger company because this is where it gets into the, we don't have a clear algorithm to do that. It's based on tons of experience and self-play and yeah, knowing how the language works to, to uh, score the best results. But uh, I think this also comes back to one of the initial questions about whether we can see something like that in the future of gaming in general. And uh, so I know of at least one time where something like that was done. And I also hope that we can maybe see more of that in the future because I would also play games uh, with AI that are not for me if I know the AI is really good. So for example, like Gaia Project. Yeah, because uh, Dominions is very much like diplomacy in the sense that it's very much a player-driven thing. There are no hard set di uh, diplomatic rules like you would get like a non-aggression pact or a, you know, a binding alliance. Everything's just done on you know, on, on agreements between players. And that obviously throws in a whole set of complexity that, you know, is going to be difficult to model with, you know, like, you know, with something like a finite state system or the, you know, the resource based system that you're talking about. I do know one game that has, it's a card game called Race for the Galaxy. And there's an AI that was created for it, which was trained with a neural network. And the AI for that game is very, very good. And it's not a, it's not a simple game either. It's, it's a card game, but it's quite a, you know, it's like a deck building game, but it's quite, a, I'd say it's a relatively complex deck building game. And the AI is very, very competent there. 
I think to make a game, uh, to make an AI using machine learning for a game of the complexity of something like Dominions would be exponentially more difficult. Uh, yeah, I actually played that one, and I think it. I, I really like the way that the AI was done for it with the neural network. There were some things that when it did a mistake in the game, it would repeat the mistake over and over. But it was rare to get into these situations. And it's also, I think, uh, one difficulty is also to fix something like that. If you don't really, uh, the, the thing about neural networks is that it generates the algorithms by itself and the programmer only can uh, train it. And if it makes a mistake, you can't really change it easily. You would have to retrain it or something like that. But overall, I would like to see more of this approach, but I think that it's also kind of limited to relatively simple games. I, I, I'm not saying that it's uh, very simple, but it's very finite in the amount of turns, right? You can have like, it's over once one side has played all their board or something like that. I don't know, was it 12 cards or was it more? And then, then it ends. So basically you can simulate many, many games in a short period of time and see the impact of your decisions relatively easily so you can see which decisions were bad and which ones were not. And the, the more the game branches out and the longer it can take, especially if the game is doesn't have finite ending or, or a defined ending, you can it, it just gets more and more difficult to do it. Yeah, I really like that game, by the way, Race of the Galaxy. It's really, really good fun. So for anybody who's listening, it's a 4X card deck building game, basically. And there is a, a Steam version that you can go and check out. And like I said, the AI was made uh, using machine learning, and it is really quite believable. Uh, I didn't actually come across any big problems, although I, I only played it relatively recently. So yeah, at least at least to my limited understanding of the game, the, the game AI seems pretty good in that. And it's uh, I would imagine that uh, ext- extrapolating that kind of that learning process out to more complex games must be very, very expensive and time-consuming. Yeah, uh, I'm not saying that it was uh, a, a big problem because it really was just in one game where I was like, I could really exploit it in the sense, but normally my my win ratio was about the expectation. So if, if you play with four players uh, and you win every fourth game, something like that, um, the issue was that I didn't feel too much too many possibilities of how to play it because it had a relatively small decision play space. But of course, it's also important to to make the right calls. And it was also a lot of about psychology, thinking about what could your enemy do and what should you do. And uh, if the thing that you do is good for you, but it may be even better for the enemy, so you might make a different decision. So I guess when when we started to talk about these kind of abstracted decision-making processes, we're starting to get into kind of game theory territory. And this is not something that I really know very much about, apart from some cursory sort of examining from YouTube and things, you know, watching YouTube videos. You mentioned that you'd been learning a little, or you'd you'd use some game theory in your AI design. Um, Did that play a big part, would you say? I wouldn't say it was a really big part. It was more like uh, an approach to find a way to get where I wanted to be. But I'm not sure if I really have succeeded because the outcome of the game is in a way because the, the AI tries to balance the game. And so it usually you don't have these decisive happenings. You, you don't just win because every time you are getting there, others will 
work together to stop you. And the, in the other direction, it's also really hard to lose because the other weaker empires will want to cooperate with you because they try to, to establish this thing that I think is called equilibrium or something where no one can do something that has a decisive impact on the outcome. And I must say, in the end, it felt as enjoyable as another mode that I also programmed, which I called fun, which just tries to make a series of balanced wars. Basically, it's very arbitrary in the sense that each empire just looks the options that it has to go to war with and chooses which one is the strongest that is not already at war with more power of other empires than itself. It's hard to explain, I guess, but it's it's kind of like a, a series of equal battles in that sense. And uh, that's relatively fun, but it's also really arbitrary and it's not a way to play to win. It's just a way to increase the player enjoyment, which is one thing that I also wanted to experiment with. And this is the thing that I came up with in the end. So the game theory one is not so fun to play against, I would say, because the, the games, they get really long and dragged out. And mostly in the very, very late game, when you can kill others in one turn, so they can't react anymore, there's still this thing where you can try to get and the AI would have to, to prevent that before you do it. And this is basically, I won a game like that uh, where I was a little bit weaker than the other AI. It didn't attack me. And I, I attacked it one turn before me and I had, there were 50 plants uh, overall and it retaliated and also killed me off almost completely. But it was one turn late. So I, had a small advantage and won. And this is also not really a fun way to play. But this is also comes to the game design because in Remnants of the Precursors, uh, the later you get, the more the advantage shifts towards the aggressor uh, so much so that in the end, the aggressor can kill anyone in one turn if well prepared enough. Yeah, so like just following on from some of the other things, just while you've been talking, I've been uh, thinking one of the things I love doing with games, and uh, I don't know if I'm unusual with this, but I enjoy watching AI play against AI, uh, even with games as basic as the game of life, like uh, Conway's Game of Life. Is that something that you also enjoy, Ale? Yes, I would say this is also a big part of the entire debugging process, just watching the AI play itself again and again. I even made it possible for OpenXCOM to let the XCOM also be played by AI so that it's much easier to test and have something as a sort of reference so I can see the progress uh, because I give the, the AI of the player a verse or a, a static way of acting and then I can see how the uh, play of the aliens compared to that improves. And I don't know how many countless hours I spent on just watching Pandora play itself. That's cool. I, I'm kind of interested to hear how your your Open XCOM AI is doing because UFO is one of my favorite games, the original. I really, really love it. And I already mentioned that I play some mods, including X Pirates. How how is your AI holding up compared to the you know the standard UFO AI? I'd say it's about an order of magnitude more difficult. You 
at if you look at the difficulties i would say playing it on superhuman would be playing it on superhuman plus four or something like that so it's a lot stronger and i'm struggling really a lot uh, i haven't really been able to beat the game with it i win some missions and i lose some missions usually it's important to know when to retreat so you don't lose everything and i know there's players out there that can probably beat it i'm watching them sometimes there's a players who play this for me, who I can watch, like Trousen, for example. He plays strategies that I was not really aware would be played. But even against him, my AI does did pretty well the last time we tested. The, the thing is also the problem is in this, the game isn't designed in a way that you can really afford losing a mission and because it's uh, really setting you back when you lose your Sky Ranger or something like that several times in a row so if you lose it once or twice in a while that's still manageable but if you lose it more often it becomes problematic okay guys this has been a really interesting discussion on ai like i've I've been looking forward to talking to you because i've got a i've got a kind of novice's interest in the whole thing but this whole thing was really really eye-opening for me so uh, thank you very much for joining us for talking to us about this because it's a fascinating topic and it's one that comes up in the community all the time yeah, then uh, thanks again for having me and uh, allowing me to present my newest project, which I hope that maybe some people play or stream even. Because one thing that I also do this for is to just uh, watch people suffer and play against it. Or uh, <laughs> if they don't suffer... Uh, <laughs> That's very cruel. <laughs> if they don't suffer, I learn from it to see how I can improve the AI even more. And this is basically my goal in this sense. If you're not suffering, I'm going to figure out how to make you suffer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. It was... <laughs> Look, I'm, uh, I'm definitely up for that. So um, where can we find your UFO project or your uh, OpenXCOM project? It should be on mod.io for OpenXCOM. I, I can also just give you the link after the, what is this, podcast. And then you can maybe also put it in the description or whatever this goes into. Yep, I'm happy to do that. That's great. Thank you. And I'm going to ha- have to check it out because I really like XCOM. I'm not, a, I'm not really that good at it, to be honest. <laughs> I've been playing since the original game came out in about 93, was it, or 94? No, I think it was 95 even. But yeah, I, I've been playing since that, but still, I'm still not that good at it. So I, I expect I'm going to get absolutely crushed. But yeah, I'd be, I'd be uh, happy to check it out. Uh, Daz, thank you for joining us again, mate. Yeah, thanks, Ben. And thanks, Isle. It was uh, great, actually. Great to be involved again. So uh, thanks for the invite. Uh, you're always welcome, sir. Okay, guys. Well, this was Ben, Isle, and Daz Tactic for Explominate. Keep exploring, guys, and catch you next time.